And we are live, folks. So we are back. It's been a while since we had one of these episodes. Glad to have Austin Show back on the show. Welcome, Austin. Thanks for having me, Dej. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. So it's playoff time. Let's talk some playoff baseball. We have the wild card race, which is just, you know, it's come to, it's, it's, it's culminated with Guardians and Rays. We have the Cardinals and Phillies. We have the Mets and Padres. Who else am I missing? You're missing the best series of them all, the Battle of Vancouver. Seattle and Toronto. Seattle and Toronto, the Battle of Vancouver, yeah. So, I mean, it's been a, it's been a good one. I mean, I, let's kind of start with uh, some of the surprising storylines. Quite frankly, I was surprised to see the Mets lose a grip of the NL East. They had... That division, it seemed they had it down pat all year long, and then suddenly it just wasn't theirs anymore. What do you think happened there? Uh, I think it had more to do with the Braves being exceptional than the Mets being anything bad. I mean, the Mets were playing at like a 93, 94-win pace throughout most of the second half of the season, and the Braves were playing at a pace that would have topped the 2001 Seattle Mariners. It's unfortunate for them. I mean, it reminds me of what the Dodgers and Giants went through last year, where you have two really, really good teams and one team is eventually just going to have to be the loser. Um, but no, I, I mean, the Mets, it's not like the Mets did anything wrong. Yeah, they had some injuries, but, you know, DeGrom came back. He's pitched well. He's, I know he's dealing with injuries again. He looked awful in his last start in Oakland. And you know, Scherzer does not look great tonight. Uh, at the time we're recording this, he's already given up two mammoth bombs. Um, but I, I, I don't really think the Mets did anything wrong. I, and it's, I love to make fun of the Mets. There's nothing more fun than laughing at that franchise and hoping Steve Cohen does terribly or gets arrested for financial crimes he may or may not have committed. But I just, I, they didn't play poorly. The Braves just got on this terror. And if we do get that Atlanta LA series for, it will be the fourth time since 2018. And I think that's all you can ask her as a baseball fan. Absolutely. The Braves are an interesting bunch. You know, they seem to always have just, a new young player every year who comes up and takes the baseball world by storm. We've seen it like four straight years now. You know, obviously you have Acuna, Albies who's still hurt right now. But now this year you have guys like Michael Harris II, Spencer Strider. That farm system is like the gift that keeps on giving. And I think that's a huge key. I mean, obviously you have to give props to Alex Anthopoulos and his crew because they know how to scout, they know how to develop talent. But I think that's the key to success in baseball today is having a good crop in the farm that you can trade trade from if you need to and you can also bring them up to the big leagues i mean this is a team that hasn't had mike soroka pitch in what like two years now and they haven't really skipped a beat they didn't have ronald Acuna jr in the playoffs last year they didn't really skip a beat it's just kind of like this well-oiled machine and they just keep they keep growing these prospects not out of nowhere but you know it's it's pretty cool to see and i think another thing i like just it's kind of like a feel-good story about the Braves is that a lot of these guys are actually hometown guys. They they have a, a yes, Atlanta's a hotbed, but they have a knack for finding like you know a Dansby Swanson, a Matt Olson, of course, Mark is back in the day, Michael Harris. All these guys are local, which is also pretty cool. Getting to play in front of your, your friends and family all the time. Yeah, I mean the Braves and the Dodgers do a very similar methodology. Um, and I think you see, again you see that for teams that win. Specifically, look, the Dodgers, they drafted well. You know, Corey Seager, who's no longer with the Dodgers. Cody Bellinger. And when they need a piece, because they've drafted and developed so well, they can pull from a deep farm. 
And I, I think it's one of the things that's most impressive. And the Braves, you know, Anthopoulos obviously was working with that LA front office after his stint in Toronto. And he's had, you know, some great success doing the same thing, drafting. Spencer Strider was a COVID pick, if I remember correctly. Um, they've been able, when they when they rebuilt and decided they were going to tear it down, they were fortunate enough to be able to poach from, from an over-aggressive Padres team that handed them Max Freed in, in a basket. Like, I, I think there's there's something to it. Even to look in the AL, every team that's pretty much, that's won recently, it's been from homegrown talent. You know, the Braves we mentioned, um, we've mentioned a lot of their guys, Acuna, even though he didn't play, Alves, and then guys that picked up as minor leaguers in trades, Swanson, you know, being the main piece there, Max Freed as well. You know, in 2020, the Dodgers, it's Bellinger, it was Seager, Will Smith, Kershaw, and then guys they picked up in trades like Mookie Betts, you know, even going the year before the Nationals, it's Juan Soto, who was carrying a lot of the load there and driving the offense, Steven Strasburg. You can keep going. 2018, the Red Sox, Mookie Betts. 2017, that entire Astros first round, you know, first overall pick fiascos that they had of Correa, Bregman, I mean, Tucker wasn't even on that team up, but Lance McCullers. Like, you don't win championships unless you can draft and develop well. It's what the Yankees perfected in the late 90s. Um, and again, if you see it across the teams, the Dodgers have homegrown stars, the Braves, homegrown stars, and the AL, the Yankees have a couple homegrown stars. Um, Seattle, the Guardians are you know, mostly homegrown stars. You win championships by drafting and developing, and I think that's going to be a trend you start seeing, maybe front offices, especially in those bigger markets that haven't had a lot of success recently. You'll see them start spending a fair amount more on drafting and developing. That's definitely the way to go. I think you're right. There's a trend there. You mentioned someone who whose name has kind of faded from the headlines. Cody Bellinger. What happened to this guy? We're actually, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, if you look back at 2019, I believe, Yelich and Bellinger were like the talk of town. They were like American League, National League, I'm sorry, National League uh, MVP um, head to head. And then all of a sudden those guys have completely fallen off the face of the earth. And Bellinger surprises me the most because, you know, to me, I thought he was just like a tool shed. I'm like, this guy can run, he can throw, he can obviously hit for power. And looking at his numbers recently, I'm like, this guy has not even sniffed his 2019 numbers in a while now. Is this someone that the Dodgers are going to let walk at the end of his at his end of his arbitration? Probably. I mean, I, I don't see the Dodgers aren't a team that will spend money on guys unless they're absolutely certain that they can get the return that they're paying. They're a smart enough team and they know these replaceable in center field. And again, I don't know the Dodgers farm system off the back of my hand, but I do know that they have a couple prospects that they're very excited about and guys that they've debuted throughout the season, you know, Bellinger is hard to understand. I think some of its approach, and we saw a big shift in the 2021 playoffs where he started to shorten up and look just to put contact on the ball and try and beat the shift a little bit. And I think that's why he was so successful uh, throughout that entire playoffs. Uh, I don't know if that approach will work for him going forward once the shift gets banned, but I think that's been a big piece for him. For Yelich, if you look at tape from him before he fouled that ball off his ankle in 2019 and after, you'll see two clear things. Uh, one is that he's standing up a lot straighter, which means he's not getting as much lower half drive. The other is that his stride shrunk, so he's not getting the separation in his lower half that he used to get before. Um, I don't know if there's some effects from that. He still has unbelievable on-base skills. He was great in the leadoff role for the Brewers. He's not hes not the reason that they're sitting at home right now. That goes out to their amazing bullpen. Um, but no, I, I, I think Bellinger to me, and I don't know, again, if it's from him tearing his labrum and having to adjust his swing and not finding that feel again. but. I personally think it's more approach than anything else. 
I agree. I think it's got to be in his head because this dude is so toolsy. But it's very alarming that you're coming up on like two plus years now that he's been a below replacement. Not, not below replacement. I would just say his OPS plus is below league average. And that's definitely concerning. And he's still young. So that means he has his prime ahead of him and he's 26. So you're not talking about some guy who's who's washed. But it's interesting because, like you mentioned, the Dodgers don't just spend money on anyone. And they can replace him. He's very replaceable. Uh, there's nothing special about him. And that's just the reality of the situation. It's pretty, it's pretty tough pill to swallow, but the Dodgers don't mess around. No, they play to win. And I think it helps. And again, the Dodgers and the Braves have something that no other teams have, and that's that they're owned by, they're owned by institutions and not by you know, individual ownership groups. The Dodgers group is mostly owned by the Guggenheim. Um, the Braves, I believe, are owned by Liberty Media, and I think they're the only publicly released team. Them and I, Actually, I take that back. The Blue Jays are as well because they're owned by Rodgers. Um, but I think mean, they have that advantage of not having to get emotionally tied in because it's an investment. And I think that's why they make smarter moves. Uh, I think where you see problems, look at, you know, the Giants, they had that great run. They're still paying the piper for those runs because of all the guys that they signed for contracts that, you know, really didn't need to be signed. So they had to try and do this really weird type rebuild. Uh, the Red Sox, same type of thing. John Henry kind of fell in love with some guys after 2007, overpaid. They had the fluke run in 2013, but they kind of, from I think 2011 through 2015, they made the playoffs once and just, they weren't a great team. And I think that comes, it comes with having, you know, human emotion. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned my Red Sox. It's, it's funny. Like last year, this time I was going to go watch them pl play in the ALCS in Houston. I, I went to game one out there. Chris Sale got, got lit up, but you know, at least getting to see the Red Sox make a surprise run in the playoffs. That's a very interesting scenario because you have a team that let Mookie walk. Obviously he's going off in in LA obviously wins a world series his first season but now it's like where do we go from here you know JD Martinez is leaving Bogarts is leaving Devers is the guy we have to sign I mean first of all do you think Bogarts is gone from Boston if Boston's smart yes I think I think if you're if I'm a, if I'm looking at the Red Sox over the next three to four years I see a couple of things they're not as deep as some of the other teams in their division. They don't have as much upside flexibility as other teams in their division. And they don't have the pieces they're already there that if they were to lock them up, could be the core of another championship team. So let's let's look at the AL East. If the Yankees lose Aaron Judge, what are they left with? Still a pretty good team. I mean, the addition of Harrison Bader has been great for them. I doubt they'll lose Judge. I have a feeling they're going to offer something that is just absolutely uh, exorbitant because that's that's how the Steinbrenner family operates. But they've got pieces. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays, again, they are not going to – I don't think this is going to be it for them. They've got Wander Franco, who they can build around for the next 8 million years. They've got arms. They've got Shane McClanahan, Shane Baz, who missed almost this entire season, if I remember correctly. They'll get him back. But they've got they've got guys they can go to. Tyler Glasnow is finally healthy, and we'll see how he looks in game two tomorrow. But they have they have guys. Toronto has a deep team. They've got young talent that they've locked up. Matt Chapman's locked up. George Springer's locked up. Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen form a great catching duo. They've got the pieces necessary. And now Baltimore finally looks like they've gotten over the hill of the rebuild, and now you're going to be stuck watching Adley Rushman turn into Buster Posey for the next five seasons and Gunnar Henderson take over the hot corner. And I'm blanking on some of the pitchers they have, uh, especially the young prospect who got injured in AAA, but 
they've got arms. Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the so I'm, I go on spotrack.com, how we pronounce it, spotrack for the yeah. for the contract that they're projecting Judge to get. It's eight years, three hundred three point six, so it's a thirty-seven point nine million AAV. Do you really think the Steinbrenners? I don't think they're the same family that they were when the boss was around. Hal Steinbrenner, he's opened the the checkbook once. He did it for Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is the one guy that they that they they went ahead and just said we're going to sign him regardless of how much he asks for. But they have balked on several free agents over the years. I know much to Yankees fans' dismay, and probably some of it is is justified. But for example, Francisco Lindor, and you know he he was someone that was on on. Well, Lindor would have been a tra- Lindor would have been a trade, and the Yankees did not have the capital. I mean, look. at Look what the Guardians got in return. Not even including the two prospects that also got shipped for, to Cleveland. You're talking about the guy who is, according to Fangraphs, the 13th most valuable player in all of baseball, and Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, who is one of the top five defensive shortstops in baseball and is a contact machine. And then that, and even that, Lindor has somehow managed to justify that trade this year. But even with all that, like look what look what Cleveland got in return. The Yankees didn't have near that. Who are the Yankees going to give up that would match that? Well, I guess Anthony Anthony Volpe is is their is their prized middle infielder that they could have shipped over. But I think even the year before, a couple a couple years now, when Manny Machado was on the block, I think that was twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. Yeah, there were rumors that he would be a Yankee, and that didn't happen. So it's just been a while. And he... Where would he have fit in? I mean, they had. Third base was pretty well locked. Shortstop at the time, I believe, was Didi Gregorius, and he was still playing well. Like the game, they, the the thing when I say the Yankees here is none of those guys were homegrown guys. This is a guy who they can open the checkbook for because he's built up Yankee rapport. He's not a free agent who's coming into New York, and the fans don't know. This is a guy who everybody in New York knows. When he comes up to bat, they stand up for him and they cheer for him. And he just made the Yankees must-watch TV, according to ESPN, because all I could watch for the last two weeks was the Yankees on ESPN. So, Re- Regardless of what sport you were watching, we were getting live look-ins of Aaron Judge ABs. It was absolutely terrible. You want to make baseball fun? Don't do that. <laughs> I'm glad he got it, though. But you could definitely see the weight of the world was on his shoulders that last week. Oh, me too. There was nothing better than watching him hit number 62 in Texas and – just, I think it's great for it's great for the game. It's great to see you know him pass up Roger Maris's Yankee numbers. It's great that you know we have more modern records. It's also great that everybody finally acknowledges how great Barry that Barry Bonds is a legitimate home run champ, because steroids were not something that was tested for in two thousand and one. But it was fun. Like it was fun watching him set a record that no one had touched in what sixty years. Yeah, 1961, yeah. Nobody in the AL had ever hit over 60 homers um, since, even touched 60 since Maris. Like, that was so cool. Yeah, that was remarkable. So I guess that brings us to the hot-button topic. AL MVP. I'll I'll go first. To me, Shohei Otani is hands down the American League MVP. I get the narrative with what you just said about Judge doing something no one's done in the American League for 61 years. And nearly getting a triple crown and even having a higher war than Otani. But the thing about Otani is that he qualified as like statistically as both a hitter and a pitcher this year, had a two, three ERA, 200 plus strikeouts. Just as a pitcher alone, I want him at the front of my staff, not to talk of his numbers 
at the plate, you know, with the DH. And it's just remarkable. I mean, who else is doing that? And the argument I hear a lot is they, they say, well, are you just going to give it to Shohei every year? Because then, you know, he, you can make the argument he's the MVP every year. And I say, well, if he's elite on both sides, if he's hitting 30-plus bombs and having 200-plus punch-outs with a sub-3 ERA every year, then yes, he is the MVP until further, further notice if he continues to do that. I'll take the uh, I'll take the counterpoint on this because I actually believe the counterpoint. Aaron Judge had an 11.2 WAR by Fangraphs. Shohei Otani's combined WAR hitting and pitching was 9.3. So even after factoring that in, Judge was that much more valuable to the Yankees than Otani was to the Angels. So again, I take MVP on an individual basis only. I don't care about your team. It's not Shohei Otani's fault that the Angels can't build a team. It's not his fault that you know Artie Moreno is meddling in every GM's moves, and that's why they have no pitching staff besides him. I think the argument, your second argument of, is it boring? Well, no, Mike Trout should have won eight MVPs from like 2012 to 2018. Every year he was the best player in baseball and it wasn't close. I mean, he put, especially that first year where he lost to Cabrera's triple crown. Like that was, that was one of the greatest seasons ever. And I love the team argument. Well, Trout didn't make the playoffs, but yeah, the Angels had a better record that year than the Tigers did. It's not, again, it wasn't Mike Trout's fault that the A's were in their division or that the Rangers were in their division. Um, but even with all that said, Aaron Judge is the legitimate MVP this year. No player has had a season like that in 10 years. I don't think there's been a 10-plus war player since Mike Trout in 2012. What he accomplished this year is just so remarkable and probably something we won't see going forward in terms of pure individual dominance. You mean Judge? Yeah, Judge. He carried that Yankees offense. He, when the rest of that team struggled, he picked it up. He is the sole reason that they even were able to win nine. You know, I think they won 99 games this year. I think he's the sole reason they were able to get near that number. Uh, again, Otani is amazing. He's great, and he's going to look awesome in a Dodgers jersey next year. But, but <laughs> it's got to be Judge. What he did this year is not going to get repeated for quite some time, especially in the ten again ten plus WAR. Who does that? I mean, that's a good point. I, I need to look into how they're computing Otani's offensive war. Because I, I, I didn't, I didn't really... Because it, it, it factors in his defense. And the fact that he doesn't play defense hurts him. He's a DH. That's fair. That's fair. But the dude has 200 plus. He would be a great outfielder. You know, I actually... I was at a game last year at Minute Maid Park. And it was his first... It was the Kent Emanuel game. And uh, it, it was his first appearance out in, like, left field. They put him in left in that game. And I didn't realize how fast Shohei Otani is until I saw him, like, run to first base in person. He doesn't look like he's moving, but he has such huge strides. And his, his home to first time, it's, it's remarkable. Dude is such an athlete. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got to see – I went down to Anaheim to see him play earlier this year. And, again, he's, he makes the game look so – foolishly easy you put him next to mike trout even and he makes mike trout look tiny trout's a big dude the only guy who i think would make otani look small is like dan vogelback like even side by side with judge they're about the same height otani has what looks like 30 more pounds of muscle even though i think they're the same weight he's just a big it's the only thing that reminds me of is i don't know if you ever if you remember jonathan broxton oh yes closer jonathan broxton was a human being where you'd watch when you'd walk up to you you'd realize his forearms were bigger than your upper body Shohei Otani has that same, oh my God, this is a humongous person feel. Absolutely, yeah. Dude is a specimen, absolute specimen. I was happy to see Mike Trout squeak out 40 home runs this year. I mean, he was on the injured list for a good month or so. And honestly, I was scared again that, oh, we're going to lose Mike Trout for the rest of the season. But he came back 
and he had a nice power surge. What is the chance of Mike Trout hitting 500 homers? He ended the season on 40, which was his 350th career homer. I think if you look at Trout and Stanton, those are the two guys I think playing right now have a chance of 500. Yeah, so he need so that's 150. He'd need 150, and I'm assuming he's gonna need it over about six seasons because that puts him at uh, 25 a season. I think those chances are pretty good. I mean, even if he starts to get injured, the DH role is going to open up for him over time because Shohei Otani is not going to be an angel much longer than next season. It, it's a simple, sad fact. So he'll have that opportunity. Um, and that's even if the Angels decide to move on from Mike Trout, he'll have that opportunity to DH throughout the rest of his career. So I think he'll get it. Stanton, I just don't ever know if he'll stay healthy enough. Um, but Trout I, Trout, I can see doing it. Wow. Shohei Otani may not be an angel much longer. It's, it's kind of tough to say that, but it's true. It's true. I mean, his market value... On, on the trade market? $30 million next year, and that's going to be, what, a, maybe a quarter of what he's worth? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, honestly. I mean, they, they can get so much. They should have traded him already. That's the truth. The truth is that they should have traded him already when he had more years of control, and they would have gotten a haul for him. But then again, I mean, what kind of haul? Because I think the, the biggest haul I've seen in recent times was the Nats and Padres trade this year, the package that went back to D.C., that was a really strong package. Robert Hassel, um, yeah. C.J. Abrams. That that I thought that was the entire Padres farm system. Pretty much. So I mean, this is a Padres team that has to win. They've put all the chips into the middle of the table, and you know that's that's interesting, right? You know, they didn't have Fernando Tatis Jr. this year, and they broke their playoff drought. I don't know how much of that is Bob Melvin, or how much of that is just really Manny Machado being a stud. That dude. I owe him an apology because I, I thought that he was going to fall off a bit, but he has just been Mr. Consistent his entire career. Yeah, I mean, the Padres are an interesting case. Uh, mostly, again, Bob Melvin is, uh, again, as an A's fan, Bob Melvin will always have a special place in my heart. He's the type of guy who gets the most out of every player he coaches. Players seem to love him, and I'd love to have him go on a deep playoff run just for what he's meant, again, what he's meant to Oakland baseball and how he's made that team watchable, even in some of the worst seasons that they had, like the 2015 and 2016 and 2017 years but I think the biggest thing for the Padres has finally been health you know you Darvish has been good he's been healthy their pitching staff as a whole Blake Snell even though he wasn't great this year didn't miss a ton of starts they had you know a solid backstop they got production out of guys like Jake Cronenworth Hassan Kim played de decent enough to where they could recover from him missing time and it's it was a team last year that just was a two-dimensional team of Machado and Tatis, got injuries, and then the pitching staff just went downhill. This year, they were able to avoid that, and I think again, some of it's maturity. You have to, I think, you have to have bad seasons before you can have good seasons. I think a lot of it too is just simple regression to the mean. I mean, they were an 86-win team before the season in my books. They finished at 89. You know, I had them tied with the Giants, and their their bullpen held up just a little bit better than the Giants did. That's all it was. Speaking of regression to the mean, like you said, with the Giants, that was, I mean, I don't know, obviously they must have overperformed quite a bit last year, winning well north of 100 wins. By my model, and, they overperformed by two full standard deviations, and that never happens. That's, you know, that's your, that's your 1% tail. Right, right. That's not sustainable by any means. You're going to regress, and we saw that this year. Although I do like some of their pieces, you know, we like our Lamont Wade. You know, he's, oh, he's a, pitching, and their pitching staff, too. I mean, oh, yeah.
Carlos Rodon should win the NL Cy Young in my book. Like he was that good this year. Huge pickup, huge pickup. But you really think the NL Cy Young? Who else is in the running for NL? I mean, I've just been. I know on the AL side, it's Verlander this year. But uh, who else is in the running for National League Cy Young? That's a good point. I mean, I think it's obviously. I, I know Clayton Kershaw didn't throw enough innings. Uh, at least in my book, he didn't throw enough innings. But you know, he was fantastic this entire season. Tony Gonsolin and Julio Arias too. Max Fried's got to be up there. Uh, Aaron Nola for sure. Um, Corbin Burns, but it's hard to give it to him just because of how the Brewers fell off. You, Zach Gallen, Logan Webb. Honestly, there are a bunch of Dodger pitchers who have a legitimate claim for Cy Young this year, but I, I, I give it to Rodon over Nola just because of how dominant he was and the fact, in my case, I mean, who pitched today for the Phillies? It was Wheeler, right? He was sharp. Yeah. Yeah, I, my book, you have to be the ace. And Rodon took that from Logan Webb. If the Giants had made the playoffs, Rodon would be starting game one. Yeah, Logan Webb was a breakout in 2021. I mean, Rodon, yeah, Rodon was also a breakout in 2021. It's just his whole thing has been health his entire career. He was more healthy this year, and, you know, that was pretty good to see. Pretty good to see. So I know we kind of touched on this with the MVP discussion, but let's say this is my last argument I will make with you to make my case for Otani. If you're starting a team and you can only choose American League players in 2022, who would be your first pick? Jose Ramirez. <laughs> Gotta love Joe. Come on. Man. He wears a chain with his face on it. Who else in baseball wears a chain with their face on it? The man oozes confidence. He's the type of guy who can win in any scenario. He's beloved by his teammates, plays very good third base. Hits the crap out of the ball from both sides of the plate. He creates opportunities for other guys like, you know, our Lord and Savior, Stephen Kwan. He creates opportunities for Ahmed Rosario. He picks up for Josh Naylor and Oscar Gonzalez. Like, this Guardians team, which is probably been the most fun story of the season. They play the most fun brand of baseball of any team I can remember in recent years. It go, It has to be, again, it's because of what he brings to the table, clubhouse-wise, player-wise. If we're being completely honest in terms of who the best, like, pure talent player is and who I'd build off of, it's going to be Otani because he's a lot younger than Judge. But based off of one-year stats, it's got to be Judge still. All right. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the the Guardians, youngest team in baseball. I see they have Tristan McKenzie going in game two, wild card. Talk about someone who's, make a, who's made a huge jump. 296 ERA on the season, 190 punch outs. I remember watching this guy in high school, actually, like on like the showcase circuit. Electric stuff. He looks exactly the same as he did in high school. Hasn't really filled out much, but it's just high-octane stuff. This is a really young team. Uh, exciting to watch. The Naylor brothers are, are together now, which is also very interesting. You know, Naylor is really coming to his own this year. He's really coming to his own. He's, he's going to be a middle-of-the-order guy moving forward. I think the biggest thing for, off of Tristan McKenzie, you watch tape from him when he struggled in 2021. And you watch tape from this year where he was lights out. There's one key adjustment. And I think being able to finally get sent to the minors in 21 and having time to work on it. You know, the Guardians had pitching injuries like no other in 21. He shortened his arm motion. He was able to move the ball quicker up, which allowed him to get faster release on his fastball and get control over his breaking pitches. The combo, it's the same thing that they did to Shane Bieber. And you can see the combo of those three pitches. He just becomes unhittable. You know, I, he, I watched him pitch earlier this year. It was a game where he didn't have his best stuff and he still went seven innings and he gave up one run. Like he's a type of guy that 
he's going when Bieber gets traded, whether it's this offseason or in the middle of next season, McKenzie's the type of guy who's going to be able to, you know, take over that staff and, you know, really lead. Kyle Quantrill had a great season, you know, he was what you need out of a number three league average. And he got out and he didn't walk guys. Savali really struggled with health this year. When he's been back, it's the same thing in recent days. It's been balls in play, strikeouts, no walks. Now, Zach, please, Zach, less said about him, the better. I talk about a head case. He will not be a, I don't think he'll be on a major league roster next year just because of, again, his mental issues. This is a guy who's gotten injured in three straight seasons for not, like, not performance-based. It was 2020. He managed to violate COVID rules and then had that stupid Twitter rant about how everyone was against him. No, you didn't follow the rules. 2021, he injures his thumb aggressively ripping his shirt off, misses most of the season. This year, breaks his pinky, punching the, in the mound after giving up a home run. You can't have that on a championship team, which is why you won't see him in the playoffs. The other thing for the Guardians, too, and again, I've watched a ton of their games this year. My partner's a huge Guardians fan, so I've gotten stuck listening to Tom Hamilton and Rick Manning on TV. Um, their bullpen is electric. Emmanuel Classe is electric. Trevor Steffen is electric. James Krinchak is a scary human being and electric. Sam Henches, they finally, finally gets moved out of the rotation to where he can focus on being a max effort guy, and he's become electric. Eli Morgan had a really rough second half of the season, but if he figures out how to get a slider going, he's also electric. They've got pieces. They develop well. They play the right type of baseball. They don't strike out. Terry Francona doesn't know how to manage a bullpen to save his life, but he's got a good enough team behind him to where they could, and I say this completely shocked that I'm saying this, they could be the only team, I think, that gives Houston a shot, uh, run for their money in the AL. Run for their money, but Houston's going to win the American League, or the American League, for sure. I mean, that, that team is a juggernaut, absolute juggernaut. It's remarkable just one through nine, really, except maybe their catcher, Maldonado, who doesn't hit. But it's they don't miss Carlos Correa whatsoever. Jeremy Pena has filled that role just fine. Verlander comes back off of Tommy John. Has a Cy Young season, no big deal. Framer Valdez is throwing a quality start literally every time he's out there. They're so good that they put Jose Urquidy in the bullpen. That's how deep they are. Urquidy would be a three starter on, on any good team. And he's in the Astros bullpen. I think that team is very scary. And I think they will make it out of the American League. I think they're going to win the pennant. But one American League team that, that I'm excited to watch. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to go too far. But... The Mariners, what a story. 21 years in the waiting. I mean, unfortunately, they didn't have a home game. You know, those fans up in Seattle. Yeah, they, yeah, that's true. Tomorrow they will. But, I mean, the game one, they were up in Toronto. So those those home fans. Win tomorrow. They'll get that nice series. They'll get a chance. I think the Mariners, it's so interesting because this is a team that's honestly worse on paper or worse than this year than they were last year, uh, at least based off record. But it's the same squad. They're repl replacing uh, – we're adding Robbie Ray to that rotation did a ton. Being able to pick up Luis Castillo midseason. I feel great for Jerry DePoto, especially after the way he got forced out of Anaheim by Mike Sosha and Artie Moreno, to really be able to build a true team. You know, even though the Diaz trade, which looked like a massive home run, didn't work out perfectly. Kelnick has, you know, struggled. But this is a, a team that's well-designed and well-built. And they fleece the Padres in the Ty France trade. They've done everything right. It's a fan base that's a you know really reliable, good fan base, and it's great to watch them play. Scott Service, you know, another high quality guy, first time manager, went from being the Angels assistant GM. They've they've done everything right. 
again, I don't they've matched up decent with the Mariners, but or match up decent with the Astros, sorry, but I don't see them if they beat Toronto, they won't beat the Astros. And I'll go back to I think the Guardians are the only team that match up well with them because of one thing. They put the ball in play. The Astros defense is not the greatest defense on the planet. And if you force them to have to make plays, they might be in trouble, especially in center field. It's crazy to think about how good that Astros team could have been had they not flipped Miles Straw for Phil Maton last year. Now Miles Straw is with the Guardians. That's that's pretty arguably the best center fielder in baseball. Eye test, metrics. This is a guy who hits 35% worse than league average this year and still put up a two war on the on the value of his defense. I did not know that. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. Yeah, I mean, one thing I really like about the Mariners is that, you know, they're doing it with a bunch of new faces. You know, Kyle Seager's not there anymore. It's a new guard. Julio Rodriguez was a rookie this year. It's not even the rookies you expected. It wasn't even someone like uh, Kyle Lewis. It wasn't someone like a Jared Kelnick. It wasn't any of those young guys. It's, Julio Rodriguez comes up, takes the baseball world by storm, and they're like, we got to keep this guy. They give him a fat extension and be like, please be a Mariner, a Mariner for life. <laughs> Deserved. I mean, the other big piece, too, Eugenio Suarez, who was a throw-in in the Winker trade. You know, Jesse Winker's been hurt. Suarez has been outstanding. He's, this is the best defensive season he's had in his career. Um, you can see he's moving around the diamond. He still strikes out an absolute ton. But he's the type of veteran leadership, and he has great approach in general to what you need for a team. Guys like Carlos Santana, another traditional pure hitter, guy who owns the strike zone. They have the right mix of vets and rookies. So even if they don't do it this year, they'll be back next year, and they'll be back the year after that. They've done everything as perfectly as you can. Hell, even J.P. Crawford, who's someone I'm shocked made the big leagues. You know, I played against him in high school. I never thought he was going to be that great of a hitter. He's proven me wrong. He's proven everyone else wrong. He's anything – I feel like anything that gets hit, from third base to up the middle, he's going to get to. And he's, you know, they've got the right team. They've got pieces everywhere. And they've got more pieces coming, too. So that, that's a very good segue to my next point. You talk about the range J.P. Crawford has. But next year, he's going to be even, I mean, he's not going to have the shift, basically. So he's going to be stationed on the left field side of the back when he's playing shortstop. He cannot wander to the other side. Both feet have to be on the dirt what are your thoughts on the new rules coming to major league baseball in 2023 i hate the shift i hate the shift with the shift rule of the passion i think that teams should be able to put whatever defense out there they want um if you want to do something that's against your numbers by all means you have all the tools for it i don't think the shift is the reason why baseball games are boring or slowing down or fans are dying i think i have no problem with the pitch clock I think it'll make the game faster. I think there'll be more stolen bases, which I would like to see. I'd like to see the running game become more a part of baseball. I think it's super fun to watch guys steal. And we get to finally showcase how great some of these catchers are. Guys like Hedges and Jorge Alfaro and JT Romuto and guys just with massive hoses. You know, Yachty's retiring at the end of the season. Be great to show, hey, look what he inspired. And now you're going to get to see that with catchers throwing down. Um, I do like the, um, the bigger bases. In fact, I kind of was hoping they would put the softball base in at first. Really? I, that play is incredibly dangerous. We've already seen a few guys get nailed, um, especially on throws of the line. I mean, that cost Max Muncy the entire 2021 playoffs. I just – I'd like to make that collision less likely. But I think making bigger bases is a good start. That'll be good. And I think, again, if baseball really wants to make a change that'll benefit the fans, get rid of blackout zones for MLB TV. Get rid of cable. 
get rid of like all of those restrictions, make it so we can actually watch our teams. You know, I haven't been able to watch that many A's games because I refuse to pay for Xfinity because I'm not going to pay $300 a month for the cable package. Let us watch the games. That's all that the league needs to do. Yeah, I saw, um, you know, some people were making comments saying like Pujols hit his 700th home run but two battles on Apple TV+. Plus. I think the game was free, but it's just some extra hoops everyone has to jump through in order to watch. Who the hell wants to go to Apple Plus T- or Apple Plus or Apple TV? Like, I don't, again, I have so many streaming services that I already pay for. If I want to watch games, you make the games accessible. Put everything on the app, regardless of national TV. Let people watch it. Charge a higher price for the app then. Like, I don't know. It's the same issue that other sports have that the NFL has with Sunday Ticket. The only sport that seems to have figured this out is hockey, and that's because they set the deal up with ESPN Plus to have their out-of-market games all be on ESPN Plus. So you get your games pretty much wherever you are. All for the price of eleven ninety nine a month. That's a great deal. And I, I definitely think that's the solution to helping grow the game. But the pace of play will help. I think yeah. when they ran the numbers in the minors, it shaved off 25 to 30 minutes from the game, depending on which level. So I think at A-ball, games were as fast as 2 hours, 26 minutes. Triple-A was up to like, let's say, 240. So in the big leagues, it's probably going to be somewhere around you know 250, which is going to be below three hours, which is which is fine, which is fine. I mean, we don't have to have it two and a half hours, although it would be nice, but that's an improvement. I don't see anything wrong with the pitch clock. You're getting the same amount of baseball. You're just killing the dead time, and that's that's good for everyone. I mean, that, that definitely helps. The other, key, I mean, the key is strikeouts. I think strikeouts are the worst part of watching a game, um, offensively and defensively, whether it's your team or the other team. It just it's slow. It's not exciting. And I know the, the league, to their credit, changed the ball this year to make it, you know, a little harder to get strikeouts. That's made it better. But, I mean, I think there's a couple of things I would do. It's one, widen the zone. and Widen the zone? Really? Widen the zone so we stop getting, you know, the X, the K zone on TV. We can actually get umpires. Umpires do a good job for the most part. I think the only way to make the umpires have, like, better numbers is to slightly widen the zone. You know, like, define what it is and, you know, set it up. Why not just go for the electronic strike zones like we're about to get anyway? I have no problem with electronic strike zones. Just in the meantime, I would like, because we're not going to have that ready for a bit. I mean, the computer vision is just not there because there's still there's still a pretty decent margin for error. Um, I would like to see like a slightly wider zone be allowed for umpires and lower the mount. You know, lower it, make it so, or or put it in the middle of the actual diamond. It's 127 feet from home to second. That divided by two is not 60. So, you know, either move it back, make it a little bit easier for guys to hit the ball. More balls in play is a good thing. The other, Or you could do what the Orioles did, just move all the fences back, and then home runs start just becoming doubles, triples, and flyouts. Yeah, I think they experimented with moving the mound back a little bit in the Atlantic League or something two years ago, and it didn't really make much of a difference, I believe. It didn't make much of a difference. I mean, I think they only moved it back like six inches or so. Oh, you got to move it back at least like three feet. What's 127 over two is, what, 63 and a half, something like that? Yeah, that's where it should be. Three and a half. Give another three feet back, and then we can talk. <laughs> Man, can you imagine, like, throwing from 60 feet, six inches your whole life, and all of a sudden, as a pro, they're asking you to add an extra three feet to that. I feel like that would take a huge adjustment for pitchers and hitters, too. Actually, as a hitter, I feel like that would mess me up quite a bit. You just have to, I mean, you hit in the cage at short distances and then you go hit at 60 feet. And it's not like a pitching machine's firing from 60 feet away. 
Yeah, I know, but it's just as far as like timing it on deck. I mean, everyone would get used to it eventually, but yeah, that's that, that's an idea. But I don't, I don't know about moving the mound back. I do like the idea of lowering the mound. That would definitely that that would be an easier way to do it. That'd be an easier way to oh, do it for sure. I think. I mean, again, I, I well, we, I think we all want the same thing for baseball, which is quicker games and more balls in play. Absolutely. Whatever gets us there gets us there. That's true. I mean, I remember watching Jacoby Ellsbury steal 70 bases in a season. I mean, we've had some guys steal like 60, Jonathan VR, guys like that. But it's rare. The stolen base is a bit of a lost art. I think it's going to come back in 2023. It's just it's fun having that, that you know, cat and mouse game. And one rule that's actually really big is the pickoff rule. Now you can only pick over twice. And on the third one, you have to throw where it's an automatic ball. Or it's not a ball. It's a balk. It's a balk on the third. Yeah, so that's that's gonna be huge, and imagine that in the postseason. Like, I mean, like that's that's high. I, th- high I think they're gonna see fans lose their minds if there's a time ball called in the playoffs, um, or a time strike called in the playoffs. But the pickoff rule is great for the game. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, Joey Gallo can sleep a lot better at night knowing that uh, the shift is gone. Who else? I mean, a lot of. Ryan Howard, well, he, he's long gone. But yeah, Joey Gallo, once he switched from the East Coast to the West Coast, his numbers improved a little bit. So I think he just had to get out of New York. Yeah, the Yankee fan base, you can say whatever you want about them, but uh, they're just not, it's not a good fan base. I don't know why players would want to play there to begin with. I get there's the story tradition, but any team that makes you shave your face, that's just the wrong, it's the wrong culture. This is an age of player empowerment. Look at the teams who win. The Dodgers have fun. The Rays have fun, you know. Terry Francona has fun. You have Josh Naylor yelling all at fans. You've got, you know, Dusty Baker. I don't know if you saw the athletic article on him, but Dusty Baker seems like he's the most interesting human being on the planet. He has fun. Like, that's what wins championships. It's that mentality. It's not the strict, prim and proper way. Like, let Babe Ruth be Babe Ruth and, you know, let the guy start acting like he did. Yeah, I cannot believe that the Yankees still have that rule in 2022 it's it's insane actually it's it's very very ridiculous that that's still a thing rules than most prof- other professional businesses do like yeah. i worked in fi- before you know i worked in finance for a while and i was never told once i needed to cut my hair or shave you know nobody's ever been told that yankees are the only organization that do it someone could sue them and probably win yeah yeah it's it's remarkable but it's the evil empire this evil empire. So yeah, this is where we stand right now. You know, got the playoffs going. You know, as as we speak, looks like the Padres have jumped out to a pretty healthy lead against the Mets in Game One. You know that that's an interesting one because you know you have Degrom who has a bit of a blister issue. I think the Mets are trying to buy him some time to see if they could avoid having to pitch Degrom in the first two games. And hopefully they would win Game One. But hey. If if you lose game one on a wild card, your backs are up against the wall. And yeah, they definitely lost that edge when Scherzer uh, was unable to get Josh Bell out in the first inning. Yeah. I again, it's hard for me to feel bad for the Mets. I'd love to see Mark Canna, Starling Marte, and Chris Bassett all do well. You know, they gave Oakland so much, especially you know Canna and Bassett. Marte even in that half season was awesome. I'd love to see Buck Showalter get his redemption. He's a great manager. You know, he's may not again not a great game manager, but guys love playing for him. He gets the best out of players and the best out of teams. Ah, at the same time, though, the joy I get out of watching Steve Cohen's multi-billion dollar disaster fail. Oh. 
Right. No, when when they had when they had the monster offseason last year, you know, I made a bunch of episodes saying there is no excuse for the Mets. It's NLCS or bust. Anything less than that, it's a failed season. Because I mean, look what they did. Look who they signed. They're the Golden State Warriors, at least, you know, as far as free agent signings of baseball. And if they don't make it deep in the playoffs, they're gonna have to look hard in the mirror. But there's not much else they can do. I mean, they already spent all the money. It's just going to be another regular offseason, and they'll try. I mean, Scherzer, Scherzer's coming back next year. DeGrom just needs to stay healthy. You know, Carrasco's been fine, but, man, it, it's – I don't want to say it's bad luck. It's just just bad timing, I guess. It's bad luck. I mean, who you don't expect Atlanta to put up the season they put up, especially given the, the downgrade they made at first base. I mean, Freeman, Freddie Freeman outperformed Matt Olsen almost by 2-1 to one this year. Not to say Olsen was bad, but it looks like they definitely gave the A's more than they got in return for him. Um, I, I just, it's karma. Like it actually kind of feels like the universe did the right thing to, uh, our good friends in New York. Oh my god! And that goodness, stupid sir. trumpet thing too. Oh, you're not a fan. You're not a fan of Timmy trumpet. No, that's, everybody uses the narco. So I think it's great that they have like a cool intro. It's nice to see that that's what's stepped in for the enter Sandman intro entrance, but, oh, I don't need to see a bunch of New Yorkers pretending to play plastic trumpets as a guy comes into a game. I feel like we can we can credit that song to Edwin Diaz's resurgence because he wasn't this good for the past few years, and all of a sudden he's lights out. I mean, look, it's cool. It's really cool that he has that sick intro. I don't need to see New Yorkers blowing trumpets though. It's just no, no. Or Mr. Met with a trumpet. No, Mr. Met's supposed to be the guy who flips off fans, not the guy who's lovable. <laughs> I did get a chance to go to City Field last year. So that, that, was, that was a great experience. I had never been there. You know, I'd been to Yankee Stadium a few times. I went to City, saw DeGrom pitch. Funny enough, it was like his second to last start before he was out for the year. So it was a bit of a bummer. But, um, you know, it was, it, it was a great experience. I, I do enjoy City Field. Yeah, it's on my list. Um, I've, yeah, I've not been able to make it out to Queens for a game yet. But uh, I did get to go to Yankee Stadium last year. I got to go see the Yankees play the Red Sox. That was, uh, that was real fun. Uh, got to do the California swing this year. Got to go to a game in all five California ballparks. San Diego, far and away the nicest of the five. Uh, it's it's been honestly a great baseball season. I I mean we've had some down surprises. The Giants, you know, bullpen really killing them. I had them at 86 wins preseason. Their expected win total was around 83, 84 based off their win or their run differential. They ended up at 81. You know that was disappointing. Um, I did not have the Phillies making the playoffs, did not have the Brewers bullpen being as garbage as it was at the end of the season. That was painful to watch. Uh, did enjoy watching Tony La Russa struggle. Oh, man. I feel for those guys. You know, Ethan Katz is uh, he's a family friend of ours. You know, he's the guy who taught me everything I know about pitching. And we saw the White Sox play this year in SF, and I got to chat with him before the game. And you could just tell he looked like he had been through a war. I mean, that had to have been – that was middle of the season. That had to have been so tough. You know, Tony is a guy that players seem to love because, you know, he does treat the players well. But his in-game management probably just cost him the clubhouse. And him not coming back is the best thing that the White Sox could have asked for. And, you know, speaking of the White Sox, huge regression this year from Lucas Giolito. Not too sure what happened. Injury. But, um... He missed a ton of time. He came back because the team needed him to come back. He didn't look fresh most of the season. He had some very good starts at the end of the year. but. You know, the White Sox as a whole, and I think, again, it stems from the head, and it stems from Jerry Reinsdorf. 
when you make decisions that anger your team, you know, Rick Renteria was beloved by that clubhouse. You know, Tony La Russa is not the greatest human being. This is, you know, Captain DUI. This is a guy who, you know, takes very hard right-wing positions politically. And your team vocal leader is Liam Hendricks, who literally signed with the White Sox over other teams because they had such a strong commitment to protecting LGBTQ rights. Like, you just, they put the wrong guy in. They have great coaches, Miguel Cairo, Ethan Katz, you know, if Ethan Katz ends up getting let go by the White Sox, whoever you root for should immediately hire him because he's the best pitching coach in baseball. Like, they just, they put the wrong manager in, and when you do that, everything rots. It's, you know, it's the Red Sox with Bobby V. You put a, norm, you put a normal manager in for the White Sox next year, and I guarantee it'll be in the ALCS. Yeah, I mean, they seemed to fight it last year with, with La Russa there, uh, even though they had that, that, that your mean Mercedes spat. They made it to the playoffs, but this year, like you said, the wheels just came off. He was completely the one-two intentional walk to Trey Turner, doing it two weeks later against the Guardians. You know it's bad when Ozzy Guillen is the voice of reason. <laughs> That's how you know it's bad. Love Ozzy. Hilarious character. When Ozzy Guillen's managerial decisions make sense, that tells you everything you need to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it's, you know, you mentioned your, your uh, five ballpark swing in California. You know, it reminded me of, you know, when we went to the WBC down at Petco. WBC yeah. is coming back next year. It's been a while. It's, it's, it, it will have been five years since the WBC, and, you know, we get that back. So that's going to be exciting. Yeah, COVID ruined that one. I was really looking forward to going in 21. I don't think it's making a West Coast swing this year, unfortunately. Uh, uh, if I'm going to go, I'm going to have to figure out how to get to the East Coast on a broke grad student salary. But uh, yeah, no, I I think the WBC is one of the most fun events. I hate that it's at the beginning of the season because I know it ruined Drew Smiley's career. Um, but that start we saw him pitch ended up being I think his last professional start. Um, because wow. he got injured immediately after that, and then injured the next year and injured the next year. But I think there's something cool about it. It's it's a great chance to figure out who the next Cuban stars are going to be because that's the only chance you get to see them play and who's going to get poached on the bus on the way home. Uh. It'll be cool to see, you know, guys like Andres Jimenez play for Venezuela. It'll be really cool to see who uh, plays with Ian Kinsler on Team Israel this uh, upcoming year since it ends up being the team of American Jewish ballplayers. <laughs> I think it's going to be a great – I think it'll be a great time. I, I had a great time. I, I think my highlight of that, we sat uh, – I don't know if you remember this. We sat in the Venezuela fan section. I remember. Sat right by the late, great Pedro Gomez. Yep. And the dude next to us had flown in from Caracas for the game. In the first two innings of the game, he told me, and this was in 2017, how terrible Hugo Chavez was, how awful Nicolas Maduro was, how he wished Trump could run Venezuela, and then how the Astros were going to win the World Series that year. I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Yeah, that, and that, that Team USA team was a juggernaut. Of course, they ended up winning it all. Them and DR were just must-see TV that year. Those two teams were powerhouses. Puerto Rico was good. Uh, I think next year, I, I think I saw that Mickey's going to come back next year for Venezuela, too. So that's going to be interesting. Well, that's right. Yeah. It was so much fun to watch. Uh, pure hitter. Had some off-field troubles. Got control of his off-field troubles. And then put one of the craziest jumps I've ever seen from a hitter. You know, from that 2012 season on, he was just amazing. Machine. First ballot Hall of Famer? You think so? I think so. 
Agreed. I mean, I think it's tough too because I'm biased towards guys from my generation I grew up watching. But yeah, I think he has to be. I think I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how the Hall of Fame voting gets done, but I think he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Easy, easy. All right, man. I Buster Posey? Okay, so he he will be a Hall of Famer, but not first ballot. I think no. you think so? No. I I don't think so. Buster Posey is maybe the third greatest catcher of all time. There but the thing is, people are going to knock him for longevity. They're gonna, I mean, yes, he played a decade, but he's probably going to get in on the second or third ballot, I think. He's a great – again, he, there are a few catchers who I can think of that replicated what he did at the plate. It's Carl, uh, you've got Carl, or Carlton Fisk. You've got Johnny Bench. You've got Mike Piazza. And Pudge. we got Pudge up there too. He equals all of those guys and was better defensively than maybe all but Pudge. He commanded the zone like no other pitcher, catcher. He he was the reason that framing analytics became a thing because of how many strikes that the Giants seemed to get that other teams didn't. Like he basically ruined framing for every other catcher because of how good he was. His last season in the big leagues was an insane MVP caliber season. It was the same quality. He you know three time champion. I get I hate the Giants. I especially hate the Giants fan base. It's it's one of the most it's one of the most fair weather fan bases in any sport. Like yeah, they the, they claim that Dodger fans are the type to leave in the third or show up in the third and leave in the sixth. Giants fans don't even show up at all. They're not even watching the game. They're on their phones. And don't get me wrong, Dodger fans are terrible too. But it's two sides of the same coin. And Dodger fans don't complain about Giants fans. Um, so again, I, this is me, pure Giants hater. Can't stand their fan base. Buster Posey is the greatest catcher I've ever seen. He's better than Yachty. He deserves to be a Hall of Famer. First ballot, no question. He deserves to, but will will it happen? I mean, we've seen... Well, then again, strange things have been happening with the Hall voting these past couple of years. I mean, Poppy got in on the first ballot, which was a surprise. If, if you show up with that hardware, he's got the MVP, he's got the three rings. That definitely helps his case. And by the time he's on the ballot in, what, four or five years, I think, uh, like you said, these, these analytics will just continue to become more mainstream and and he'll have a really good shot. Oh, he, he ins- I mean, Yachty inspired a generation of catchers. Buster Posey, even though he was under the radar, was better defensively than Yachty, and that is crazy to think about. It is very crazy to think about, because yeah, when you think of defensive catchers, especially in our generation, yeah. you think Yachty. You just think Yachty. Yeah. Yeah. Yachty wasn't even the best catcher in his family. Jose or Benji? You, you go, Jose? Jose Molina, Jose Molina stuck in baseball longer than any human being at his with his batting average ever should have because he was so good behind the plate. Everybody loved Jose, uh, and I'll never, I'll never forget watching him come up as a rookie in 2002 with the Angels, and you know, watching him just throw guys out casually. The two Molinas are the catchers there. Him leaving, bouncing to the Yankees, and basically saving AJ Burnett for one playoff run, and then just everywhere he went was a beloved figure. He was, you know, yeah. Jose was a great catcher. And then Benji was the only one, at least for some time, he was the only one who could really hit. Uh, I mean, Yachty turned it up these past five, six years, maybe. Yeah, Benji was great, too. I remember, I loved watching him run the bases. Benji was one of my favorite players growing up. Oh, man, dude, hit for, he hit for the cycle in Boston. I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget him waddling around second base. That was just, I think they pulled an oxygen mask out for him in the dugout, if I remember correctly. You can see Adrian Belcher, who was the Red Sox third baseman at the time, just cracking up laughing as he's got the third. Yep. Yep. 
Yes, sir. Well, as oh, always, it's a ton of fun. Um, go Guardians and. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be a good playoff run. Yeah, I agree with you. We're not getting that. We're not getting that. But hey, we'll enjoy them while they're while they're still in it. So, thank you for joining. Thank you for hopping on the show. As always, great having you. Yep, as always, let's do this again soon. We will.